Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we talk about the value of emerging markets, how we approach investing in these countries, and what opportunities this year may bring. With Nikki Eggers, Head of Wealth and Investments, Luke Pierce, Senior Investment Strategist, Rob Mansell, Senior Investment Manager, and Andrew Spivy, Discretionary Portfolio Manager. If you are new to investing, want to learn more about investing, or want tips on how to manage your long-term financial plans, check out our sister podcast channel, Money Plan, available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Hello, welcome to Word on the Street. And I hope you don't all roll your eyes when I take the opportunity to say Happy New Year. Uh, It feels a bit weird saying that halfway through January, probably a bit too late, but it is my first one back. So I hope that all our listeners and subscribers had a wonderful festive period and got some rest and are energised for the year ahead. And with me, hopefully feeling energised and ready for the year ahead, I have Luke, who's Senior Investment Strategist with our Asset Allocation team, Rob, who works in our Manager and Fund Selection team and is going to bring to life what the what the professional fund managers are, are saying and thinking and doing at the moment, and Andrew, portfolio manager in our discretionary team. So we're going to focus quite a lot of our conversation on the emerging market asset class, discussing everything from the economic headwinds that these countries have faced during the pandemic, all the way through to how we approach investing in, in those assets. And as I mentioned, what our professional fund managers think of the opportunities in that space right now. So Luke, I mentioned we're halfway through January almost, and it's certainly been well, a really interesting start to the year for markets. So can you just bring to life what's been going on? And for you and the team, what are you watching with bated breath? What are you focused on right now? Yeah, hi, Nikki. Yeah, no rest for the wicked uh, at the turn of the year, unfortunately. And yeah, we have seen a bit of a wobble in stock markets so far, uh, which I think in large part can be explained by quite a sizable spike in bond yields uh, and in particular real yields. So this is the, the component of bond yields that you get for after adjusting for inflation expectations. And really, the, the spike in yields came off the back of the US central bank. So the Federal Reserve communicating to markets that they want to begin removing some of that enormous accommodation at a much quicker pace, especially in relation to their, their balance sheet policies. Uh, and that's actually caused quite a bit of dispersion underneath uh, the headline figures as well. So if you look to value stocks or value strategies, um, which invest in companies that are fundamentally cheap, they have rallied quite sharply so far this year. And then on the flip side, we've seen growth stocks or growth strategies, which are companies that have uh, above average growth expectations. They have actually generally suffered. And in particular, actually, within that, we've seen the some of the unprofitable tech names really kind of bearing the brunt of that sell-off. Um, elsewhere, other things to, to note, we also have the latest inflation reading in the US this week, um, which came in at 7% uh, year over year. Um, so another sort of very, very high reading, uh, particularly in a historical context. Um, that said, if you kind of dig into the details here, it's really the same drivers as what's been causing inflation to, to spike as in previous months. So very much specific categories related to supply bottlenecks. So, for example, used cars causing some of those outsized gains in inflation. 
Um, if you look to the market reaction, it's actually pretty minimal. So um, I think that's quite quite telling in terms of where what markets are already expecting and what they're already discounting. Um, I think the real question here is is around will forecasts for inflation sort of peak early this year, as, as many are forecasting and, and many have penciled in. Will will that come true or not? Okay, and then and then focusing on emerging markets, perhaps perhaps we could start off with with you characterising, you know, what what were some of the difficulties that that those countries faced last year, and obviously it, it's it's quite a, a sort of differentiated group of of countries and markets, but it did seem quite specifically difficult for China last year? Yes. Yeah, so the, the, there were a lot of headwinds for emerging market countries last year. Yeah, and as you mentioned, of course, each country has its own nuances. But if we kind of paint with a broad brush, um, what you found was that there was slower vaccination rollouts. Um, obviously, they had new variants to, to contend with, uh, along with the rest of the world. Uh, and also smaller fiscal responses contributed to weaker economic recoveries. I mean, here, this is this is quite key. I think most emerging market countries don't have the luxury of providing the same level of government support as uh, what you might find in a lot of developed market economies, which I think explains some of the big differences in recoveries that you're seeing versus, say, the, the US or, or here in the UK. And then equally, we've also seen quite a, a more aggressive response from many EM central banks in response to spiking inflation. So uh, a lot a lot of emerging economies have felt the surge in inflation more so um, than developed market economies, just given that higher sensitivity to, to food and commodity prices. Um, and then in, for, for, for China in particular, as you said, it's been it's been a pretty complicated year. So. They have also experienced a slower than expected recovery. And I think this is probably for a, a number of reasons. You know, firstly, they are still sticking with the zero COVID policy, which was, and I would argue it still is, uh, quite a costly economic trade-off. You also had the regulatory crackdown, uh, which weighed uh, on a lot of different industries. Uh, and then on top of this, you had uh, the Evergrande default as well, um, who was then China's second largest real estate developer. Uh, and China's property sector accounts for a disproportionate amount of its overall economy. So uh, a weaker property outlook will drag on what has been a really large growth engine for China in, in recent years. And you kind of add all this up. And what we've seen is that uh, emerging market equities have really substantially lagged developed market equities last year. Um, obviously, I should be quick to point out that past performance is, is not an indicator of future performance. Um, but really, the big question is, are EM equities now cheap enough to overcome the, the above concerns? That's not an easy question to answer, but there certainly does seem to be quite a bit of pessimism already priced into uh, emerging market equities. Thanks, Luke. And Rob, you're, you're going to share with, with us you know, the, the, the thinking of, of the external fund managers that we, that we deploy in our, in our portfolios and our, and our funds. So what are you hearing? What are they thinking about China right now? Yeah, so uh, hi, Nikki, and Happy New Year, if it's not too late to say that. <laughs> so uh, we're still two weeks in, so I think we're okay. Yeah, so I mean, China is a massive part of our manager's investable universe in emerging markets. And, and as you might expect, is a market that, that I guess splits opinion and probably deserves, you know, the full spectrum of opinions, really, uh, ranging from, you know, some of the managers who who really choose to have very little invested in China to others who have significantly more exposure than, say, the, the MSCI Emerging Market Index does. 
which is about a third of the of the index actually. So very broadly, I would say to Luke's point, you know, lots of complications and uncertainty around uh, Chinese policy, short-term challenges in the housing market, COVID policies, geopolitical tensions with the US, all this kind of thing creates a level of uncertainty, which for active managers is is probably as much an opportunity as it is a risk. So as an example, we hear a lot of active managers talking about China's commitment to reducing carbon emissions in the decades ahead and, and how that has created some structural growth opportunities. And on the flip side of that, the removal of some of the stimulus measures which were you know, in the property sector and the increased scrutiny of particularly the internet companies in China this year, sorry, in the last 12 months, has created a lot of caution, I would say, in areas that that will once seem to be due for perpetual growth. We've got managers really trying to focus on China's policy directions and at the simple level, trying to identify the sectors that the government has clear supportive policies around. So that is things like renewable energy or industry related to semiconductors and some of the high-end tech manufacturing. And these are, you know, really truly innovative companies in in their own right. I would say these sectors, certainly the managers are telling us, should continue to have a a good tailwind coming into this year. And and what our managers as active investors are really looking to do is make sure they find that right company in the right sector and pay the right valuation for it. And that's the tricky bit, I guess. Certainly renewable energy, top of people's minds, is certainly something that comes up a lot when we speak to managers. The I would say the consensus view from from them is certainly that China, you know, despite all these challenges, despite all the risks, certainly remains committed to its carbon neutrality pledge and green development, improving living standards and gaining advantages in all these emerging industries like electric vehicles and, and automation is something that isn't really at risk. You know, they don't really believe that these environmental solutions in China are, are at risk from any of these policies. So that's one of the most stable areas for future growth and certainly managers are highlighting which is the positive i guess the positive spin on what what luke (laughs) has told us about yeah and i mean luke also mentioned that you know other em countries have have faced headwinds but you know are there any areas of of the market that haven't struggled quite so much that that have had that tailwind that you mentioned and and how are our managers positioning for for the year ahead trying to take uh take advantage of that yeah so obviously china stole all the headlines but Mm. it it is very important to remember that there's always lots more going on in emerging markets than than what we might typically hear about in the news and you know just in the msci emerging market index alone there's over 1400 companies in that and 25 different countries represented so there is always plenty for, for investors to be looking at i would say you know while we've mentioned china struggled last year more than half of the countries in the index actually you know, delivered positive returns. And and some of those returns from the larger countries in the index, like Taiwan and India, are on par with, with what we've seen in the US last year. So along with that, the likes of Russia and Saudi Arabia also did very well last year. And, and those are the markets that probably benefit the most from, from some of those sharp rises in commodity prices that we've all seen. So big variation across you know countries and sectors in emerging markets. In terms of the way our managers are positioning portfolios, I, I would say it certainly does vary quite widely, as as you might expect when there's such a large opportunity set for them to choose from. 
I would say, well, Saudi Arabia probably remains a market where very few managers have ventured. Asia continues to be a, a very extremely important part for all kinds of investors and all kinds of managers that we we invest with. Uh, that region is more than three quarters of the index. And I would say many of the managers that we speak to maintain significant exposure to, to all the different companies and countries in that region. To highlight, uh, I guess, one country particularly, certainly last year, Taiwan was a great source of returns for a lot of managers, particularly some of the large Taiwanese semiconductor chip makers. And I think probably there was a lot of press time devoted to demand for semiconductors last year, whether it's chips in your brand new electric car or your phone or your video games console, the shortages that we've, we've started to see in that market and the impact felt across a whole range of different industries, I, I think have all helped a bit to drive home the point that the Asian technology particularly leads the way in a lot of these fields and, and the managers that we invest with certainly see that as an opportunity that, that continues to offer alpha generation prospects going forward. You could easily say the same thing about similar global leading businesses in, in South Korea and, and China, to be honest. Okay. And I know when when we're selecting fund managers for funds and, and portfolios, one of the things that we look at is whether there's any particular style or investing approach that, that perhaps might be imbalanced in any way. And Luke was talking earlier about um, what we'd seen happening with value style uh, stock picking. So where stocks are fundamentally cheap versus uh, growth, where it's it's more stocks characterized with future growth expectations and, and what we saw happen in the tech complex recently. Rob, can you just share a little bit about how you see the styles reflected in emerging markets and, and what the opportunities are there? Yeah, so 2020 w- was a standout year for, for all those managers focused on the sectors and companies, I guess, with the greater growth expectations. And really, last year, so 2021, we, we saw the exact opposite of that. Those value managers that you mentioned with, a, I guess, with a stricter view on the price they will pay for growth, really enjoyed some really strong performance last year. Much of that was driven by the underperformance last year of some of the large Chinese internet and tech stocks that we've heard about. These are really big components, not just of growth managers' portfolios, but but also the index, the emerging market index in general, which really gives an opportunity for alpha when you do or, or do not own them. I'd say, interestingly, I think, you know, towards the end of last year, so towards the end of 2021, we've, what we've seen with some of the managers that we invest with, we've starting to see some of the value managers adding positions in some of these Chinese tech stocks, which historically they just haven't gone anywhere near. They haven't held because a lot of the value managers were, were uncomfortable with the valuation that the market was prescribing to some of these businesses. Now, I guess this gives you an indication of just how far the share prices of some of these stocks has fallen in the last 12 months, certainly you know, relative to some of the sectors like like energy, which we mentioned. And it was these tech stocks which really drove China and, and Asia, particularly in 2020, which had a great year. I would say we're, we're almost at the point now where we can see growth managers and value managers cautiously adding to positions in a few of the same stocks, which is an interesting change, certainly to, to what we've seen over the last couple of years. That is interesting. And, and so I guess it begs the question, 
in your view, how much does style or country selection matter in, in the emerging market complex? Yeah, so clearly over the short term, it can matter quite a lot. Even over the longer term, I would say having a, a permanent bias to one country or one particular investment style can certainly make a big difference to not only the total return you might see from from your investment, but but also to the volatility of those returns and and your sort of experience throughout the life of that investment. Now there are lots of ways you know to generate returns and alpha as active managers, and our objective in the manager and fund selection team is is really to try and identify that small group of managers in the investment community who uh, over reasonable time frames and i would say that's certainly the longer term can be expected to produce alpha and outperformance and that is really regardless of the style or approach that, that they employ and on top of that m- much of the time we spend as a team on portfolio construction really aims to to invest across a blend of very different managers chosen on the basis that, that they will each deliver outperformance from different sources during different periods of a market cycle. So the objective really for us is to deliver that long-term outperformance without the volatility that, that can be generated by any, any particular style or country exposure. Thank you. And Luke, I mean, we're, we're talking quite a bit there about equities in emerging markets, but obviously the debt markets in emerging markets is also a an opportunity for some added value, especially in the in the active space. So what did we see? Was this an asset class which also struggled last year? Yeah, it, it was for, for broadly similar reasons that, that we talked about earlier, uh, but it didn't struggle quite to the same extent as we saw in emerging market equities. So I think generally when you're talking about emerging market debt, it requires a bit more of a nuanced discussion just because it comes in, in very different shapes and sizes. So you can have country or sovereign debt, you can have corporate debt, local currency, hard currency, um, and each of them have, do have sort of very slightly different drivers um, and I suppose just just to maybe unpack some of that jargon. So local currency just refers to debt issued in a country's own currency. Um, so if you invest in that, you will typically have exposure to any changes in, in the currency or the FX exposure. Um, whereas hard currency uh, simply refers to debt issued by an emerging market country, uh, predominantly in US dollars. So you don't necessarily have that that exposure to the emerging market currency, at least directly anyway. But both asset crosses struggled last year. Emerging market debt in local currency actually suffered the, the greater losses, um, just primarily because we saw quite a bit of weakening in the emerging market currencies as, as a whole. And actually in our tactical asset allocation, which is where we make kind of very modest changes to portfolios based on our shorter term outlook, we actually turned slightly negative on emerging market local currency debt in around about sort of mid-October last year. So very marginally reducing holdings in portfolios. And actually so far this this change has benefited client portfolios, just given we have seen uh, negative returns since then. And actually we still hold that position for now. So, so we still believe that the current environment poses headwinds to, to the asset class. And Andrew, this is probably the perfect point to bring you in to talk a bit about, okay, we're hearing about the complexity there, especially with emerging market debt. How do you and the team deal with that when it comes to taking exposures in, in client portfolios following that tactical asset allocation that, that Luke just spoke about and our more strategic positioning? Yeah, well, the emerging market debt, it, it's a rather niche investment area. And as a consequence, you won't find a number of fund offerings in this space 
as you would, for example, in investment grade bonds or US equities. Within our discretionary portfolios, our emerging market debt exposure is broken down into hard currency and local currency debt. Now, as Luke mentioned, with hard currency debt predominantly denominated in US dollars and local currency debt denominated in the currency of the issuing country. Now, both these sub-asset classes sit within the broader asset class of high yield and emerging market bonds within our portfolios. Now, currently, our modest exposure to both of these sub-asset classes is via the use of our in-house single asset class global access funds. These are funds of segregated mandates that allow us to allocate capital to expert third-party managers, some of which are not directly accessible to, to retail investors. Now, these funds can be allocated across several third-party managers, allowing us to maintain a blend of different styles and thus helping us on the road to achieve consistent outperformance in different market environments. And, and then just more broadly, when it comes to the wider exposure in, in portfolios, can you just share some final thoughts, Andrew, just on, on how we do that? I think the one clear point that has arisen during these discussions is that emerging markets are not homogenous, but instead a grouping of very different countries that are in constant evolution and at different stages of development. As Rob and Luke have mentioned, the asset class has faced a number of headwinds over the past 12 months in the form of strengthening US dollar, Chinese regulatory intervention, uh, COVID-19 responses, along with further variants of the virus arising, and the continued fallout from, from debt defaults in the Chinese property sector. And these are likely to persist in the short term. However, the long-term case for emerging markets, I think, remains solid. We've got higher growth rates, younger populations, uh, continued urbanisation, the rise of the middle classes, increased domestic consumer demand, innovation, and coupled with the underrepresentation in global capital markets. And these are chief amongst them. So within client portfolios, we aim to avoid concentrating investments on one set of economic, political or regulatory risks. It's particularly pertinent in the emerging market equity space where we retain a blend of fund managers in order to focus on maintaining a healthy level of diversification spread across growth and value ideas, as well as those stocks that might benefit from, from higher inflation expectations and rates and those longer term growth ideas that are less cyclically exposed. Brilliant. Well, we've covered a lot today. Thank you so much, Andrew, Rob, Luke. We'll be back with more Word on the Street next week. And in the meantime, have a great rest of your day and week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.